Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we'll be exploring time, space, and trauma. With me is Dr. Anguin St. Just, who is a social traumatologist. She works all over the world, in particular going into war zones and helping people to deal with traumatic injuries and other forms of trauma. She is the author of a two-volume series called Trauma, Time, Space, and Fractals, and is also the author of a five-volume series of books on trauma and the human condition. Welcome, Anguin. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. It's a pleasure to be with you. I know you do very difficult work, but you've come up with a unique uh, approach to it. I might even say something of a theoretical breakthrough uh, in applying the concept of fractals to the study of trauma. So let's, uh, for the benefit of our viewers who may not understand what a mm-hmm. fractile is, let's let's give them a definition. Mm-hmm. Well, um, there is a branch of mathematics known as fractal geometry that was discovered accidentally uh, by Benoit Maldebrot, who was a mathematician. And uh, one day he decided to feed an equation into his computer, and he did that, and he went to get a cup of coffee, and he came back, and there were these patterns on his screen. He said, well, there's something wrong with my computer. So he put in another equation, he got another pattern. And then he realized these equations have visual patterns, and these patterns replicate through time and space, and they're self-similar in scale. So no matter what the scale is, whether it's micro or macro, it's the same pattern. Mm -hmm. And that began the branch of fractal geometry, and those equations are now known as the Mandelbrot set. And there's another set, which is the Julia set, and on and on, but that's all about mathematics, which is not my strong suit. Mm -hmm. But you uh, somehow came to appreciate that there's a relationship between these self-replicating patterns Mm -hmm. and the study of trauma. Absolutely. And that was also an accident. Mm. I did not set out to find the relationship between fractal geometry and uh, replicating traumas, not at all. Um, given that uh, I'm dyslexic with numbers, uh, anything having to do with mathematics uh, in my education was painful, mm-hmm. often traumatic even. Um, and when I was growing up, they didn't understand dyslexia. Uh, either with letters or with numbers. But uh, my coping strategy was to avoid, in, in any way possible, anything that had to do with mathematics. Um, and then the cosmic joke is that when I was confronted with a mystery 
the answer was where I would never, ever look, which was in the field of mathematics. So that was a surprise. So you had to confront your own trauma about mathematics in order to develop a theory of trauma. Absolutely. Absolutely. And even though I scramble numbers, I really recognize pattern very easily. I see patterns often where people don't. And um, the minute I saw the fractal visually, I made the connection to this pattern and self-replicating traumas. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a process, went over many years. Um, It sort of revealed itself to me step by step. I didn't have a plan that I was going from here to there. Um, I was invited to... um, be the trauma specialist in a family practice a medical clinic in Boulder, Colorado. And um, they had um, many patients who um, had multiple accidents, particularly traffic accidents, mm-hmm. with chronic pain afterward. They were not responding to conventional treatment, mm-hmm. some closed head injury people as well. I mean, after so many traffic accidents, they they were so traumatized that they were unresponsive to uh, the forms of treatment that were available to them. They just the the pain continued. The um, the accident patterns continued, um, whether they were passengers or drivers. So I thought, this doesn't make sense. So I thought, I can figure this out. This is Obviously, it has something to do with substance abuse. These people are somehow uh, impaired uh, neurologically. There's alcohol or drugs or something. And so I I, uh, spent one evening at the clinic. Um, I went through all of the charts. In order to to say, well, look, you know, it's this is we really need a substance abuse uh, program here. <laughs> not one, not one. How surprising! Yeah, and so there I was with um, a mystery. Mm-hmm. How how can this be happening? That people would have fifteen, twenty accidents. And as I recall, you, there were maybe 15 or 20 people you're talking about. Yes, more, actually, so, over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more than that. Um, so, being a bubble bath theorist, what I did was retired to the bubble bath <laughs> to take a nice long soak and think about this. And the answer was, of course, there, but I didn't see it. And... Uh, in bubble baths, you know, in bubble, when you get really big bubbles, mm-hmm. as they expand, right before when the, the, the bubble gets thinner and thinner, and then you see these beautiful rainbow fractal patterns. It was right in front of my face, and I didn't see it yeah. because I hadn't seen fractals. Mm. So I was looking right at it, but I didn't recognize, well, the answer is right here in this bubble. In retrospect, I realized, oh, it was right there, but I didn't see it because I didn't know about fractals. 
And uh, in those days, very few people knew about fractals. Um, so I thought, okay, what do I know? And what I did know at that point, this was the early, very early 90s, that trauma is not one event that happens to one person. That uh, there's no such thing as, <clears throat> excuse me, one trauma. That some of us get traumatized before we're born, as we're born, after birth, and so on. And trauma impacts the way we relate to all others, including our way to have relationship, and also to parent. There's a whole theory of personality developed by Otto Rank, a psychoanalyst, mm -hmm. basically saying that human personality is fundamentally conditioned by the trauma of being born. Well, that's the human condition. Yeah. And trauma, I, I would say trauma's in the contract mm -hmm. on this planet. Uh, with some it's very severe. With some there is a, a major event that yeah. uh, takes precedence, but they're little traumas, and there's cumulative traumas. You know, uh, yeah. Chinese water drip, and, you know, it's okay, this, and then cope, and then that, and then cope, and then there comes a breaking point, and then full-blown traumatic reaction. And in fact, as I recall, speaking of the uh, Freudian approaches, yeah. uh, uh, there has been a speculation that the uh, practice of circumcision is a form of deliberately instilling trauma on a, on a young infant in order to, in effect, condition them to be uh, obedient to the rules of the particular society or religion into which they're being brought up. And in certain cultures, they circumcise uh, little girls as well. Yeah. It's, uh, both so it's ways. deliberately induced trauma. Yes, culturally, and that's a whole other topic. Yeah. Um, so, I had an image... I think particularly that trauma affects the way we relate to others, but also to parent. Mm -hmm. Therefore, traumatized people tend to pass on the trauma to their children and so on. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Bible says the evil that men do shall pass on for seven generations. At least. Uh -huh. And the Native Americans say the same. Uh, seven generations. So... I had an image at that point. My image was a Chinese firecracker. Hmm. So, you know, with these firecrackers, you have a um, flashpoint of gunpowder at different points along this long rope. And what happens is any place you set that afire, the whole thing goes off. And the traumas tend to activate other traumas with other traumas. Uh, and it can be cumulative as well. And insurance companies don't understand this because they say, well, this was a simple fender bender or the, or the cat died or uh, somebody slipped on the ice and they had this full-blown traumatic reaction. But the fact is it was cumulative, and then at some point the organism was no longer able to uh, to cope with uh -huh. something that was cumulatively... The last straw. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, really. And the insurance system is a very different system than 
Well, they know enough to raise your rates once you've had a little accident. <laughs> absolutely, they, they figure you're more prone to have another. And they're right. Mm-hmm. They're absolutely right about that. So I had this firecracker, but this wasn't helping with why these people were having multiple accidents. So I thought, well, what else do I know? Well, I know that traumas tend to happen on the anniversary of previous unresolved traumas. Not previous traumas, but previous unresolved Unresolved. traumas. Mm -hmm. Well, pretty much I would think all traumas are unresolved. No, No? not, not at all. How do you resolve a trauma? Oh, we could talk about that for... <laughs> we'll have another conversation. <laughs> That's another conversation. But and, you know, trauma is not a life sentence. If I didn't believe we could resolve trauma, I would have bailed out of this profession long ago. Well, what I mean, if people can get on with their lives, of course they can. But I, I tend to think that once you've suffered from a loss, you're never going to be completely the same as you were. But that's not what healing's about. Yeah. Healing's not about being the same. Mm-hmm. That often trauma can be a transformative uh, experience as well. And my experience is that trauma can heal, but you may not be, in fact, the same. Yeah. Um, I've certainly talked to people who have suffered from severe trauma uh, and would tell me, gee, given everything that I have learned as a result of this trauma... If I had to do it all over again, I would. Yeah, that's right. I've heard people say that. Yes, because that's, for some people, the only way they can change mm-hmm. or break out of a pattern and so on. Yeah. But still, you know, I was I had this mystery. So I thought, okay, start with the dates. So I sat with my patients who were mostly women, but not all. And I said, let's look at the dates. And so we looked at the dates. And I said, do these dates mean anything to you? And what we found was that these dates with the women coincided with incomplete pregnancies. And there were three dates when the accidents would happen. The anniversary of the date of conception of termination for whatever reason, and the date the baby would have been due. Mm. Now, this made no sense to me initially in a, in a linear way of looking at it. Um, but I was beginning to see this was in fact true, and I asked my patients to please go to their gynecologist, their obstetrician, to ver- verify these dates, which the doctors were very annoyed this lady from Berkeley's coming, wanting to, you know, they just thought it was really uh, silly. But my patients were very persistent because they felt there was something there that might help them. And then a lady came who had this pattern, and I said, well, I know there's this pattern. These are the dates, and um, I don't know why. And she said, oh, makes sense. An incomplete pregnancy is a violent disconnection, and an accident is a collusion, a a violent reconnection. (laughs) And I thought, well, yes, I mean, in some kind of cosmic balance sense, but at that point, I could not imagine how (laughs) 
this balance of this with that actually happens. Mm. Um, so I sat with that for a few years, and I noticed that some of my patients who had these repetitive patterns were men. Mm-hmm. Of course, they'd never been pregnant. Um, but they did have broken connections. And uh, there was one gentleman who had, quote, an accident where he cut off his thumb uh, with an X when he was working. On the anniversary of the date when his young child was taken away from custody. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it was unconscious. He hadn't made the connection of feeling like he lost a part of himself when that child was mm-hmm. this was a violent and um, he had the repetitive in other words when a trauma like that occurs it creates you might call it a meme some sort of a mm-hmm. psychic pattern mm-hmm. that uh, is going to try and uh, replicate itself yes but it didn't lend its the pattern didn't lend itself to linear resolution. And so during the time I was in this clinic, we had the Sioux uh, City Air uh, crash where the United flight went into the cornfield. Mm-hmm. And Denver is a United hub. And um, we worked with um, many of the survivors. And what we found is that the survivors of this air crash had a family history of airplane crashes, either as pilots or as passengers. Interesting. Even as passengers, so that uh, it's not as if it's like uh, something that the person has any kind of immediate direct control over. That's right. It's more of a uh, synchronistic Mm-hmm. Connection, mm-hmm. or as Jung would say, a a causal connection. Yeah, and um, I remembered from marriage and family uh, therapy theory the mm. genograms of family systems, and the Kennedy family has these airplane crashes um, beginning in the nineteen forties. Um, JFK's older brother. Uh, was killed uh, during uh, World War II mm-hmm. as a pilot. His sister died in an airplane crash. Um, Ted Kennedy's plane was struck by lightning. He survived. And, of course, JFK Jr. Mm. Uh, perished. Yeah. So there were generations of airplane crashes. Mm-hmm. Um so then I was beginning, I realized that it, with these accidents with my uh, patients with automobiles, they were also passengers. Same principle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this, this, I was really almost obsessed with, I couldn't settle with coincidence. Because in the genograms, it was often, they didn't tell us how these patterns got started, why they got started, or how would you resolve one of these fractals if you didn't want it to keep replicating? Now, for the benefit of our viewers who don't know what a genogram is, can you define that? Yeah, just basically it's a, it's a family tree. Mm-hmm. It's a map of uh, family systems down through the generations. Mm-hmm. 
and you can see patterns. Um, You have cardiovascular families, you have uh, accident families, you have, well, the Kennedys, they they have Mm -hmm. a lot of trauma, uh, transgenerationally. So I had this unwillingness to accept this was simply coincidence because um, I felt there was something else happening in this dynamic. And um, my firecracker wasn't helping. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was in Jungian analysis at that time, um, very involved with learning about the numinous and dreams. I had an experience one afternoon where I was extremely exhausted for no reason, and I just had to lay down. And I lay down on my bed, and I was completely unable to move. I wasn't frightened. I just couldn't move. I was in some other holding pattern, I guess you would call it. And then, you know how whales have blowholes here? And this blowhole opened on the top of my head, right here. Oh, it seemed very natural at the time. Uh, It sounds like hypnagogic imagery. Yeah, Mm -hmm. something like that. And I could see it, but I could also feel it. Mm. So there was this blowhole. And then there were two what looked like black beetles. And they were going around the rim of this blowhole. And one says to the other, I think she's ready now. And they jumped into the hole and it closed. Hmm. And then I fell asleep. So I told my analyst about this. And he said, I don't know what it means, but I know it's important. But then I forgot about it. And then someone came to visit, uh, and they brought me a book on time. And I looked at the cover, and I'm very visual, because, like, the number part doesn't work so well. Looked at this, and I thought, what is this? This is what I'm seeing clinically. What is this? I said, oh, it's a fractal. So I thought, what's that? And they said, well, it's a mathematical pattern. So I found this film um, narrated by Arthur C. Clarke, Colors of Infinity. And this film, it's a beautiful film. It's all over YouTube still in many languages, demonstrates how the human body has fractal patterns, that we are fractal creatures in a fractal nature. I mean, the most... Uh, recognizable fractals is the Fibonacci, which mm. Leonardo was fascinated with. Uh, that, that the Fibonacci is self-similar no matter what the scale. Mm-hmm. And we have these spirals in our bodies mm. and the DNA double spiral is fractal. Mm. And the nervous system, and the, the film shows this beautifully, how the circulatory system, we have branches, and then it comes into the finer capillaries, 
and it looks just like the rivers that go into the deltas. And so when you're looking at the landscape from above, you see the same patterns that we have mm -hmm. in our organs and circulatory system. And here's the key, the nervous system. The nervous system has dendrites, dendra, like from the Latin tree. So you have this dendrite, this tree branching yep. nerve cell, and then you have the axons and you have the, yep. the space in between. And so, also, if I recall, you were describing this hypnagogic state of the two beetles. The, the Mandelbrot uh, fractal pattern kind of resembles a beetle. They looked exactly like, and when I saw that film, they had the Mandelbrot, uh, and I thought, those are the bugs that, <laughs> that jumped into my head. That something was downloaded mm -hmm. into my uh, math-phobic nervous system. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that uh, this is the key. That we are fractal creatures in a fractal nature, in a fractal universe. And in the universe, if you're looking through a telescope or a microscope, you're going to see the same pattern, mm. exactly the same yeah. pattern, and that we resonate with these patterns. Uh, yeah. Now, uh, you also had the opportunity to work with the uh, victims or the, or the therapists who were involved in working with the victims of the Columbine tragedy. Yes, because then... Um, I realized that these dates are very important for social and collective trauma, not only in individual lives. I began to look, because I'm a historian, to look at dates in history and trauma. And during this time, the Columbine uh, massacre happened. And um, at that time, the uh, therapists in Littleton were not prepared for such a massive, overwhelming, unexpected, horrific uh, event. And they needed uh, supervision. I mean, you are a traumatologist, yeah. uh, but most psychotherapists are not trained in traumatology. And they should be. Uh -huh. And they should be, because they're working with trauma all the time. And they don't study history either, which they should. Because to really understand these replicating patterns in the collective, you need to know something about history. Mm -hmm. And um, in, in, in Littleton, I mean, there was absolutely no awareness that what happened in that high school had anything to do with anything that, other than two bad kids and probably really horrible parents, you know, which they weren't. They weren't. They were not horrible parents. These kids did not have a traumatic childhood at all. Um, Which so, deepens the mystery. Yeah. So I began um, with a location because I remembered that Rupert Sheldrake had said, places have fields of memory. And he figured this out uh, where he lives in England that he lives near a stretch of country road that has a traffic sign. In Britain, they have these uh, traffic signs. It's simple. It's a black spot. And when you see the black spot, it says, be careful. Many accidents have happened on this place. 
But he said, this makes no sense because this is not a congested area. This is not a complex. So he looked into the history of the place. And what he found is that this black spot place was one, it was the, the field where there was one of the bloodiest battles between the Protestants and the Catholics. Mm. So then I, I asked him, and I said, well, how do you settle down? He would call, he called it a field disturbance. Mm, back in the 16th century or yeah, so. Yeah, how do you settle a field disturbance? He said, well, with this conflict, he said, you need representatives from both sides to come together with people from both communities, and you need to grieve together everyone that was killed, not only their own dead. That's a big shift. Huge. Because lots of times I know when there are memorial ceremonies, they're for the victims, not the perpetrators. Uh And if it's one country invaded another, they both have casualties, but they don't want the other side there. And these war memorials heal nothing. Mm -hmm. They heal nothing. They, They stand as a monument to us and them. Winners and losers, perpetrators and victims. And he's saying to settle a field, you need both. And all that were traumatized, killed, wounded, needed. Mm-hmm. So, the, Which he, is sort of, I gather, the pattern that uh, began in uh, South Africa when they, yeah, uh, uh-huh. <clears throat> after apartheid. Right. They, Wanted However, to have it, this healing process. It's coming around again in, in a difficult way, but that's another, that's another story. Yeah, but this field of place. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought, okay, Littleton High School, let's see uh, about Littleton. Let's find. And of course, uh, during the Indian Wars, um, the Arapaho people were there. They were increasingly weak, uh, and the army came. Uh, cavalry, and they had, quote, battles, which were not battles. They were massacres. Uh, so you had a military uh, massacring uh, old women and children uh, and calling it something else. So there were lies, cover-ups, massacre right there in that uh, region. So then I thought, okay, that's the place, because I was beginning to see an equation <laughs> Algebra, beginning to see the equation evolving, place, date. Okay, so the date was fascinating. The date originally in the boys' diaries was April 19th, Hmm. and they chose that date for their what they called military mission. Okay, so again, we have the military. We have the military massacre. Okay. They um, chose the 19th because their hero was Timothy McVeigh, who had um, supposedly uh, carried out the Oklahoma bombing on April 19th because there were two reasons. One was uh, his outrage about the Gulf War, and he drove a Bradley vehicle, which is like a bulldozer, where his job was to bury the half-dead people from the bombings. And he was outraged. He got home. This is his story. And he joined the militia. And he said, we have to bring this government down. Uh, 
He was furious about Waco and the massacre there, April 19th. Um, and f- for the boys, he was their hero, so they chose his April 19th. And a lot of terrorists do deliberately choose dates uh, like that, anniversaries uh, that they want to uh, somehow call attention to when they commit an act of terrorism. Yes, September 11th is another one. Um, Definitely. It's a message with the date and the place. Timothy McVeigh joined the militia uh, at a protest to the military. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the militia, their heroes were the Revolutionary War militia, and the first shot of the milit- of the Revolutionary War was April nineteenth, seventeen seventy five. So there's the time fractal going through seventeen seventy five through 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 all the way to Columbine. However, the boys were amateurs. And most of their, their their plan was bombs. They were going to blow up the school. But their bombs fizzled, so they had to resort to shooting. But the plan was bombs. And because this is the connection to war. However, they couldn't get all their bombs into the high school in time to. So they said, okay, we'll do it on the 20th, which is Hitler's birthday. Another anniversary. Yeah, and they were neo-Nazis, and in the family system, I mean, there was no evidence of bad parents here anywhere. These Mm. were um, middle-class Republican parents. Well, that may be a problem already. But, but, (laughs) you know, not the kind of trauma you would expect to produce to kids like this. Yeah. But on on um, Dylan Claybolt's side, there was a Holocaust history on his mother's side, and he was a neo-Nazi. And uh, Eric Harris's uh, family was military. His father was heavily involved in the Gulf uh, War. Um, and Michael Moore picked up on this because Littleton is the home of Boeing. In his movie, uh, Bowling for Columbine. Right. Mm -hmm. And these kids were on the bowling team. They went bowling that morning. Mm -hmm. Um, And he picked up that the field of Littleton itself is military because Littleton's a military town. So that's more of the fields Mm -hmm. of this. And I followed this... um, event over more than 10 years, and then I found out that the next generation, uh, there was a, a young man from who'd been a high school student there, went into the Navy, became a SEAL, and he was killed. And his parents um, commissioned a very large bronze statue of him in full military regalia. If you look at the pictures of Harris and Klebold as they were carrying out their massacre, they were in full military garb with grenades and all kinds of uh, automatic weapons and so forth. So here's this Navy SEAL in full military regalia, crouched in a ready-to- uh, respond position, and they 
placed the statue directly across from a, a, an elementary school. And I couldn't believe, I thought, my goodness, after what happened at Littleton High School, they put this kid with all of these weapons mm -hmm. right across from an elementary school. And there was a huge thing in the town about it. And people were very <laughs> upset that anybody saw a connection. Yeah, because we tend to think of uh, military as being a normal part of human existence. We uh, regard soldiers as heroes, and we glorify the uh, accomplishments of uh, battle and warfare, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and we think of that as normal without an appreciation of the uh, potential reverberation of that militaristic mindset throughout the culture. Which began when the cavalry massacred the Arapaho. And they called it a battle. Yeah. Which, you know. So one of your points is that these lies and cover-ups uh, tend to perpetuate the very problem they're trying to conceal. Because truth will out. Mm hmm Apparently. Sooner or later. Yeah. So I got deeper into fractal phenomena, mm -hmm. looking at it in individual lives, and looking at it in the culture. Um, and then I had gotten as far as the nervous system is fractal with these dendrites, and there was a synapse of it, you know, I couldn't quite. And then Sir Roger, oh, I had found Sir Roger Penrose's Cycles of Time mm. uh, early on, around the time they were beginning to decipher the Mayan calendar, that it was um, not linear, it was fractal, and that they knew the time is fractal. Yeah. And, and, and that's what he was saying. In, mm -hmm. uh, and I, th heavy lifting for a history major, but I intuited from that book, Cycles of Time, that these cycles... have intentionality somehow, that there's some dynamic underneath here that's potentially understandable mm -hmm. somehow. Mm -hmm. So then, um, more recently, Sir Roger wrote uh, a paper with Stuart Hameroff, and they said in the synapse there are these microtubules. Well, throughout all the whole neuron. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they called them like alpha and beta, and but they're fractals. Yeah. And they're fractals. And they concluded that these um, microtubules were the seat, they call it the seat of quantum consciousness. Yeah. I would say it's not so much a conclusion as a hypothesis. Yeah, I jumped to a conclusion for obvious reasons. <laughs> but the for, orc or theory yeah, of consciousness, yeah, this, uh, about which I've done, like, I think, eight interviews with Stuart Hameroff on this video yeah. channel. Our viewers can check our program listings to, to find them if they're interested. It's one of the most significant theories about how uh, quantum interactions at the quantum level can interface with the human nervous system. And the fractal universe. Yeah. Our fractal nervous system, the fractal universe, mm -hmm. 
And I might mention it's one of about three or four similar theories that move in that direction. But you can see why I'm so fond of uh-huh. sure. <laughs> so fond of this one. Yeah. Um, so that's as far as I've gotten mm-hmm. uh, with it. Um, and clinically, I found it's very helpful for people to realize that what they thought was one-off trauma, maybe, was actually connecting them to something greater. That it it had to do with their belonging to a system, a culture, a race. um, I guess it's fair to say that if you're a human being living on planet Earth mm -hmm. right now, you are living within a matrix of trauma. yes. Yes. I mean, we're living right now, right in the middle of one of the largest mass extinctions in the history of the planet, mm-hmm. caused by humans. We don't think of it as trauma, but I'm sure uh, it is. It's trauma to the biosphere. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And <laughs> we're very disconnected from that reality, because otherwise people don't feel like they could get up and go through their day yeah. knowing that, oh, uh, good morning, it's the sixth extinction. I don't think I have to go to work. I mean, there, there's a compartmentalization that yeah. keeps us uh, from getting overwhelmed with the reality of what we're actually experiencing. Well, I'm under the impression, as a parapsychologist, I can tell you this, the one reason why people aren't more psychic, because I think of it as a natural gift available to everybody, is because we don't want to have to experience the pain of other people. We numb ourselves. We wall ourselves off uh, to protect ourselves, really, from uh, from the trauma that is just there in the environment everywhere. People are sick and dying. Uh, amongst other things. And uh, so in order to really experience our full human potential, we we need to be able to open ourselves up a little more to the pain in the world. And many people feel that it's too overwhelming and they can't do it. I think, you know... It takes a special person to pursue your profession, to travel to war zones, <laughs> to go into the most difficult environments and work with those people. Yeah, but usually by the time I get there, the shooting is over. Um, but I think in terms of the human nervous system and how we defend ourselves against overwhelming realities like the sixth extinction is the way that the nervous system is constructed. We have a triune brain, and we have two hemispheres. And we have the ability to split thinking and feeling. And because of this, we can push a button and destroy a city and not feel anything. And healing, I think, for us individually and as a species, is to unite thinking and feeling, and that can be painful, challenging. And what I've found with people that they don't feel they have enough resources to uh, actually do that, to feel. It's Mm. 
that this splitting is a defense. And there's something about our species that it's a flaw, I think, in the design that we can split, you know, push the button, destroy a city, feel nothing. I re- believe you cite in your, your book Stalin, who, who said, uh, the death of a single person is a tragedy. The yeah. death of millions is a statistic. That's right. Yeah. Split. And I think this, you know, this version of us, mm-hmm. I think the split is the flaw in the design that may eventually uh, destroy us. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we can destroy ourselves without feeling it. Well, you suggest that if we can begin to recognize these patterns, yes. if we can appreciate the fact that we're all embedded in these fractals going backwards in time, maybe even forwards in time, as, as some parapsychologists would yeah. would suggest, and out into space as well, yes. maybe as far back for all I know as the uh, trauma that was the Big Bang. Fragmentation. Yeah, we we uh, might begin to uh, heal the universe. Well, that's a tall order. <laughs> but, you know, cl- clinically, I find that helping the, the client or the patient to see their trauma as integral to the human condition, that mm-hmm. this is not some personal feeling, this is... Uh, they, it has to do with belonging, yeah. and it makes sense in belonging to something larger. Also, uh, there's sometimes some very exciting detective work to do. How far back mm-hmm. does this go? Where did it get started? And what's incomplete that keeps representing because it wants to reach resolution? And if we can find it, what is that and how to do it? And that's inviting the client to an adventure, which is different than giving them a diagnosis mm-hmm. in the medical model. Well, you know, you're damaged because you have these symptoms. But to invite them to the adventure of discovery is a whole different paradigm. And for me, more interesting as a clinician, and clients respond to the adventure in a very different way than a patient would to a doctor. Well, Anne Gwen St. Just, this has been an informative, if, if even if a little bit painful, <laughs> conversation. I mean, uh, I'm probably no different than many other people who get a little nervous about facing the uh, inner darkness, and uh, but it's good to do. So thank you so much for being with me. It's been ultimately a pleasure. My pleasure as well. And thank you for being with us. 